Well, good morning, everyone. Um, I guess I got almost 60 minutes to fill. I'm almost 60 years old, so I got a minute, a little shy of a minute per year. Is that that average out about right? So I'm not going to go in that detail this morning. Uh, you're probably thankful for that. So, but I was, uh, I guess, I was blessed or felt honored to be asked to share my testimony. Uh, I was approached about that back. I think in June, uh, next time was going to be over to to do this, and I I said, well, I'm not the regular speakers, one of the regular speakers here, so I thought as I kind of was puzzled by it, being asked to give my testimony, but I do feel honored that uh, you wanted to hear, that uh, Jeremy and Roger wanted to hear. So it's nothing special, <clears throat> I guess. I don't have any radical drug past or those kind of, you know, a radical conversion experience. But I guess I thought on this, uh, and I enjoyed listening to the testimonies. I uh, downloaded them and listened to them. I think I did all of them. There might be one that I hadn't done from here. But I was blessed to hear all these testimonies and bless you for that. And, you know, they were so different. Each one's different. And that, isn't that how God works in our hearts? And I guess I got to thinking about, you know, I guess you called them life stories. Is that kind of what you termed it as? It was life stories. Um, I guess as I thought on that, I thought about it. It's history. You know, it's his story. It's his story in our lives. And that's how he works. He works us in us where we're at and takes us from that place and conforms us into his image. That's what we're predestinated to, to be conformed into his image. So, and that's what I want to... uh, It's his story. It's his work in my life. And so I hope that will be the takeaway from this. Um, You'll have to excuse my voice. I hope I can hold out uh, that long. To finish this, <clears throat> I've been uh, a lot of dusty conditions lately, and so uh, sometimes it uh, my voice doesn't hold up very good. <clears throat> to think on Romans two four first, <clears throat> it says here, "Or despisest thou the riches and goodness and forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance?" And I thought of, I've thought on that verse over the years that. It's only through God's goodness that he even gives us opportunity to repent and to come to a saving faith. And so that verse is really, I've thought on that. It's God's goodness that we're here today. That he gives us, he bears along with us and gives us an opportunity to become his sons and his daughters. And so it's, that's a, been an important verse in my life that it's only by God's goodness that we're here. It's only by God's goodness that I'm here this morning. Um, I don't have any great uh, religious background as far as family heritage. Uh, <clears throat> they were just pretty typical people. They'd go to church once in a while. <clears throat> I did have a great grandma. Uh, my mom's maiden name was Buzzard, uh, so it's not the bird type Buzzard, of course. But uh, <clears throat> and that's actually a German, I think, a German name or descent. So th- she attended the Brethren Church. And I see some pictures, and she was a fairly conservatively dressed lady. Uh, and this is back a hundred years ago, so my heritage goes back, or she would go back quite a ways, pretty fast. But her sons, they were raised up in a kind of a back uh, country out in the boonies, you could say, in the hills there, about 50 or 75 miles north of where we live now. Uh, but they were, she had a bunch of sons that were quite rough as far as young men and they, they, the school teacher, one story comes that they, the school teacher made them sing. She'd play the piano or organ and, and they'd made these, all the school children sing. Well, these brothers didn't like singing and they ended up breaking into the schoolhouse one night and chopping up the organ. So that's, that's what her sons did. So I'm not sure where, she didn't pass off much of a faith to her children. 
So my, yeah, my grandpa on my mom's side, he was kind of a ornery character. And so, uh, so maybe I inherited some of that. I don't know. Uh, maybe that's your judge. <laughs> but early on in life, uh, there was a young lady, there was a neighbor, uh, her name was Jody Morledge, and she was, seems like it was an earnest young lady. And she was reaching out to my sister, my middle sister, that's uh, about eight, nine years older than me. But it was in, she was at a church, a church camp, uh, and she contracted, uh, spinal meningitis. And she ended up dying. I and mean, this is, she's probably about Amos's age, I guess. I get to think about, uh, maybe 18. But she'd been reaching out to my sister, my middle sister, and witnessing to her. I mean, she was an earnest young lady. And she had a passion for the Lord and, and to be a witness. But her death, I remember going to her funeral vaguely. Uh, and a, a young person passing away impacts people in a different way than an older person. So in, in a way, that impacted my life. I think it impacted my sister's life. And through that, my sister was trying to reach out to me in my preteen years as best as she knew how. <clears throat> uh, I'm not, I think my sister's earnest, but, you know, there's things in her life that I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't agree with, definitely. <clears throat> But she tried her best. She tried what she knew, and, and I appreciate that. I mean, I have a good relationship with my sister, uh, Janet, Aunt Janet, we call her. Um, but that didn't save me. That didn't bring me to a saving faith either. I mean, it was a testimony. It was a witness. Uh, the Lord used it, I think, and spoke into my life. But I fell into an addiction of pornography. Um, back then, you know, you had to get physical magazines or pictures and those kind of things. Nowadays, it's like, I don't even know, they hardly make any magazines like that because it's just so readily available in every other format and uh, on the phone and the internet and such. So I really, uh, for the young people today, that's a tremendous temptation. And so I, I fell into that for many years. For many years, I struggled with that addiction. And uh, I didn't have any church I didn't, I remember as a, quite a young child, maybe five or six years of age, we went to a Christian church. That's where my mom and dad would have been baptized, but they, they were just a typical family. They just didn't attend church. And we'd go a few times a year, maybe. <clears throat> but I remember going to a Sunday school a little bit, and I felt very insecure because I was, I was always one that held on to my mom's shirt tails, and we go into stores, and I just fall around like a, a lost puppy. You know, I, I just, I was very insecure, so I, uh, so I felt that I was being abandoned or something in in Sunday school. So we just didn't go very often. Uh, as far as school, <clears throat> when I was uh, went through uh, public school. And uh, living on a farm 10 miles out of town, I just didn't interact with my schoolmates very much. And I think, I look back at that, that's probably a very good thing. Uh, <clears throat> one of my first uh, grade friends, his name was Tim Wagnon. And uh, he wasn't a believer or anything like that. But he, his dad called up one time when I was, uh, I went to country schools. And then when I got up to sixth grade, I could either go into town to school or I could go to another country school for two more years, seventh and eighth grade. And then when you got to high school, then you had to go to town. <clears throat> so this dad, Tim Angden's dad, called and talked to my dad. Since we were good friends, we saw each other a few times, maybe in a summer. Uh, but Tim Wagnon's dad asked for, asked, uh, my dad, that I would go to this other country school that we could have two more years out the, out in the country. And uh, just because he wanted to avoid that wrong influence from town. And it was pretty different. I mean, it was pretty radical difference what the young people experienced on the country setting uh, versus right in the middle of town. <clears throat> uh, and so I went, I mean, I was planning on going that way anyway. It was closer to to our home, it was only about five miles away, and so he was planning on going there anyway, and so Tim Wagner, he went and spent those other two years, and 
And the influences were radically different than in town. The young people I went to sixth grade with that went to town, you know, they went, they had some major influences that would impact your life. Uh, I mean, they just came out of that experience, that two years experience, way different than what we did in the country. So I thank the Lord that He spared me from that influence and and that makes me think, when does the Lord start working in our hearts and our lives? When does He intercede on our behalf and uh, order things to keep us if we listen, if we will listen and heed, heed that? Even when we're unbelievers, when will He start working in our lives and when will we start listening? So we, it's the goodness of God that even gives us the opportunity to repent. And living on the farm 10 miles out, I just didn't, I didn't have a car. So we didn't go into town very much. I didn't interact with my schoolmates. And again, I, I thank the Lord for that. <clears throat> uh, but after high school, you know, I ended up getting a car when I was about 20 years old. Uh, I graduated in, uh, 83. <clears throat> so I've been out of school 40 years, which is hard to believe. <clears throat> But after high school and, and uh, then after I got my own car, then I started interacting with some friends, uh, which we need friends. We need friends, uh, definitely, <clears throat> but we need the right kind of friends. And I started going to my friend's house, and of course we started going to movies. Again, we still didn't go to church much. By that time, my mom and dad would be attending a Nazarene church <clears throat> fairly regularly. I would go off and on. But my friends started going to, <clears throat> went to movies. I mean, these weren't good movies. They weren't, uh, uh, they were really bad movies, I would say. <clears throat> and bowling alleys and the, the environment. I see people, uh, professing Christians, they want to go bowling. And I was there. I mean, I spent hundreds of hours, hundreds of dollars, thousands of dollars bowling. Uh, the sport in itself is not evil, but the environment you have to go and play in. in is not good. A lot of smoking. <clears throat> My friends joined the league, and it wasn't long before they started playing around with smoking. And uh, then they would invite me to go <clears throat> go there. And then, hey, one time I remember we went, and, and they were going to go to see a movie. And then they changed their mind in the middle of that and says, "No, we're going to go to a bar." So then we started going to bars all the time. The movies weren't good enough, and so we started going to bars. And again, I wasn't raised in that. My parents raised me that smoking and drinking and those kind of things were not right, <clears throat> even though my grandpa on my mom's side would, would have smoked all his life and drink beer once in a while. <clears throat> so that's kind of the background that I was raised in. <clears throat> but my friends started going to these bars, and, you know, I felt very uncomfortable. I didn't know, I didn't discuss any of this with my parents. Uh, they didn't know it. They probably knew it, <clears throat> maybe to a certain extent, because you go there and you come back smelling a, <clears throat> smelling like a bar, even though you don't drink. I mean, the smoke sticks to you. And, you know, that <clears throat> it kind of made me feel guilty, I guess. And I praise the Lord for that. I mean, the Lord used that, I think. And I remember one time, <clears throat> these friends I was running around with, <clears throat> all of them were Basque. Young men, um, and I don't know if you ever met a Basque. I mean, they're a pretty small people group, but normally they're pretty hard living people. I mean, they're hard drinkers. They, a lot of them, a lot of alcoholics. I mean, they can drink hard, drink a lot. <clears throat> and uh, one young man, his name was Bernard Siagoinetch. I mean, that's an interesting name. <clears throat> There's Omniantanena is a, uh, another name. They're a very unique name. <clears throat> But this Bernard, we went to this bar one time, and, and I remember the waitress came by, and I was sitting there, and the waitress came by, and I didn't know what I would do. I'd never had any alcoholic drink. And this waitress came by, and Bernard was sitting right beside me, and, she, and I saw her coming, I knew she was probably going to ask if I had wanted anything to drink. And she came up and asked him, what are you going to have to drink? And this was going through my mind. I thought, what am I going to do? And she asked him, what would you have to drink? And he says, I'll take a Coke. And I was like, Whew. 
I'll, I'll take a Coke too. Because I didn't know. I thought, well, if he ordered an alcoholic beverage, what would, would I have done that? Would I have stepped into that, crossed that line? And I was so thankful that maybe the Lord, I don't know where he was at. <clears throat> I mean, most of these baths are pretty much Catholic people. That would be their faith, the, the church that they'd be <clears throat> claimed. And I thought, Lord, you know, were you protecting me by having him ask for a Coke? And I, I don't know. I mean, I could have, I could have been, that one thing could have put me into being an alcoholic. And I thought, <clears throat> the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. <clears throat> so, was the Lord protecting me? I, I want to give him the credit. I was in the wrong place. I was not in a good place. I was in a place that was a very dangerous place for me to be in. <clears throat> so when does the Lord start working in a person's life? <clears throat> and I think of Le- Lamentations 3.22, <clears throat> it is the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because His compassions fail not. It's the Lord's compassions they fail not. And it's of His mercies that we are not consumed when we are born. I mean, it's that He leads us to repentance gives us the opportunity to repent. <clears throat> so as the time went by, you know, I thought, well, I I never did drink. <clears throat> I ended up being the driver, oftentimes that would drive to the bar and I didn't since I didn't drink I could drive my drunk friends home. What a life. <clears throat> I don't recommend it. I don't recommend it. And I don't want to glory and I, I guess sometimes uh, uh, hear uh, <clears throat> stories of great Christians are unshackled. I think it's unshackled stories. You know, they dwell so much, so much time on the sinful lifestyle and the sin life, and it's just like you go too much detail. You don't need to go in that. What has the Lord done for you? What is the Lord doing for you? I mean, that's the testimony of Jesus Christ is what the Lord's done for you. He, that's my testimony of what I've done for myself is that sinful life. <clears throat> so I remember one time, this is back in about uh, 1989, another Basque young man, <clears throat> John Etchemendi, was his name. He lived right close to us. <clears throat> and I, I don't interact. I see these guys now, and I, I mean, they're terribly gray. I mean, they're looking old. Of course, I, where's a mirror? I look in the mirror, and I, I'm looking kind of old, too. But the divorce and remarriage and live-ins, and it's just like it, it's not a life. I wouldn't trade them anything for it. <clears throat> but I remember John Etchemendi, I went, and we went to this bar again, and he, and he got extremely drunk. I mean, I think, I'm pretty sure it was John. It might have been another friend, but I'm pretty sure it was him. <clears throat> and... Uh, and he got really drunk, and well, on the way home, you know what a drunk person can do is they start getting sick and, and ready to vomit, and uh, I was driving, da- driving down the road, and he says, pull over, pull over, pull over, and he was in my back seat, and I knew what he meant. I knew what he was going to do, and boy, I stopped, and I don't think I was even quite stopped, and he opened the door, and he was just spilling his guts out uh, there, and... Uh, and this is like two in the morning, and we got home, <clears throat> and got him home. He didn't uh, have any more trouble the rest of the way home. But I was trying to—I was living a double life. By that time, I was going to church a little bit more. And uh, I think of First Kings eighteen twenty-one: How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow Him. If Baal, then follow Him. And the people answered him not a word. And I was kind of in that position. I didn't have an answer. I didn't. I was just trying to live this double life. And I remember the next morning, uh, for some reason, <clears throat> I mean, the Lord, it's His goodness, I guess. Uh, the next morning, we went to the Nazarene church, <clears throat> and I took my car. But I knew when John was having his trouble in the back seat there, that he didn't get it all out the door. So I think some ended up on this door sill or something. Uh, on the side of the door, and uh, and I sat there in that church service listening to the preaching. I do not know what the message was about, uh, but the Holy Spirit was speaking in my seat where I was sitting in the back. I knew that was 
on my car, and I, it bothered me. That mess was partly on my door sill in my car. And I, thought, I mean, that sounds silly, sounds funny. Uh, I was halting between two opinions. I was halting between two places. I was, I was neither here nor there. The Lord was working, and I thank the Lord for that. And it bothered me bad enough that I got up in the middle of the preaching and went to the restroom and got a wet paper towel and went out there and cleaned it. I mean, that's like, that wasn't cleaning my conscience. That was cleaning my car. That was cleaning some outward thing. But it was something the Lord, the little thing that the Lord used uh, to speak to me. Like, I need to decide which way I'm going to go. I need to find out which path. I'm going to go on. I was, I felt I was at a fork in the road. And I didn't like the lifestyle. I didn't like what was going on. I didn't like the struggle with my sin, the, the guilt of my sin. Uh, I wanted freedom. I wanted peace. I wanted happiness. I wanted something different. <clears throat> and again, I wasn't... Uh, <clears throat> We didn't have much for church or anything to really point to any kind of conservative lifestyle, any kind of kingdom Christians or anything like that. <clears throat> and growing up years, I was around some Bible missionary and they were different, which I appreciate that. I mean, that's the importance of living a separated life. It speaks to the world. It does. Um, if you live like the world to win the world, they won you. It does not work. So living a separated life speaks to the world even if you're not using words. It speaks. <clears throat> those footsteps, those paths, they speak. <clears throat> so about that time, our farm is really struggling. <clears throat> and uh, the pastor and his wife from the Nazarene church that my mom and dad attended, they were reaching out to us. And they were earnest people. I appreciate Winston and Marita Ketchum. They're actually the ones that uh, did our ceremony for our wedding. Uh, they were earnest people. They were soul winners. They desired people to enter into the kingdom. Uh, yeah, we may have a different picture of what that meant. But they're reaching out to us as a family, <clears throat> since we're in a financial situation, struggle. And I remember they came out, one evening they came out and brought pie and ice cream out and just to minister to us. Just to, They knew we were struggling, knew my parents were struggling. Uh, and I remember sitting there at the table and... Uh, Marita was asking me about my spiritual condition that night. And uh, she says, I don't remember what words she used, but I know the Lord was using her to speak into my life, you know. Uh, and I, I could shake my head, no, I don't, I'm not following Christ at that time. And so I, the Lord used them, and I appreciate them. I don't want to cast stones. Again, I wouldn't uh, recommend some of the Nazarene doctrine, but... Uh, the Lord was using <clears throat> using them. And about that time, I started attending the Nazarene Church pretty regularly, going to the Sunday school uh, that they had. Uh, there's a lot of good sermons, a lot of good learning time. That the Lord is working in my heart. And it was a tool I think the Lord used on my journey. It's His story. Remember that. <clears throat> it's His story. Uh, so the Lord is laying some foundation work. He was working there, and I thank him for that. Uh, and this is about 1990 or 91. <clears throat> and I think it was in 91, I was set up on a blind date. I actually had uh, two blind dates, and my sister set up one that summer. But then about a month and a half later or something, about a month later, uh, I was introduced to my wife. I said, People say, where did we meet? I say, out in the cornfield. People, what? And that's a whole story in itself. <clears throat> um, I guess we can, if you want, to, want me to fill in that information or her to fill in that information, we, we can. So it was over a cornfield, uh, kind of, uh, that we were introduced. It was uh, the man that owned the cornfield introduced me and set, her, set us up on a blind date. And we went to a, she was at a fair uh, uh Babysitting, Rod and Staff books, you know, homeschool books, promoting homeschooling. And uh, so we went down there, and that's where I met her. I met the McCullough family. And they had Tuesday night Bible studies. And, and so we 
we went out a few times. Um, and again, my heart wasn't right before the Lord at that time. Uh, the Lord was working. I hadn't really chosen the path. I was starting on that journey. I was starting on that path. I was seeing things. The Lord was showing me th- some things. And I was turning away from this other life because I did not want that life. I saw what it was doing to my friends. I knew what it did. Uh, my oldest sister had married an alcoholic, and I knew that was a horrible life. And she was ended up being divorced from that man. And I, I knew that's not the path I wanted to go on. That wasn't uh, the direction I wanted to go. So I was turning away from that life. That was because I didn't want to go that way. <clears throat> and they started having... Uh, her mom and dad would have Tuesday night Bible studies, and I was attending there fairly regularly. And we kind of went out a few times, and then I asked her to go to a, a movie. Uh, it was a it was a Walt Disney movie, innocent movie, right? No, no. <clears throat> and she had her convictions, and, and I appreciated that. And she said, "No, I can't go." And that. That caused her struggles because she she wanted she had this dream whoever she dated first was the one she was going to marry, and I broke that, I shattered that, at least at that time. Um, so that caused her struggles, and I guess that's you'd have to ask her the details of that. And she, it hurt her, and it hurt me. I guess uh, rejection like that does hurt. Um, So in some ways I knew that it did, um, that it hurt her, or that she struggled with that. But her brothers kept inviting me to this Tuesday night Bible study, and uh, she didn't want me there, which is understandable, but uh, her brothers kept inviting me to the Tuesday night Bible studies, and I was learning things. I mean, it was... They put a question in, uh, what does the Bible say about this? And uh, Which is good. That's a place to go to find out what God's Word says and what God believes and what He wants us to believe. <clears throat> so uh, that went on for some time, but then I kind of, I knew she wasn't too happy that I would come to those Bible studies, so uh, I'd kind of quit going. And But her brothers, Robert and Willie, Robert was here for the funeral, <clears throat> uh, they said, oh, come on, come on. And so they kind of coaxed me along to come on to the Bible studies. And about that time, or uh, they were also going to Cove, Oregon, to the Mennonite church up there in LaGrand and Cove, Oregon. And I, the Lord used that church up there to really speak to me. I remember there was a man by the name of Glenn Bender. I don't know, you ever heard of Glenn Bender? Uh, he came up there and preached one weekend <clears throat> Uh, I think we went up there on Sunday, and he preached Sunday morning, Sunday evening, and on the home. And uh, by that time, I'd already heard Brother Denny's uh, Godly Home set, and I really enjoyed Glenn Bender's messages. It was just like the Godly Home just crammed into a matter of two hours worth of time, and I really appreciated his testimony and the message on the home. And it was giving me a vision of what a Godly Home was, and and so I started, you know, that was the long, more of the longing in my heart. Lord, I want that. I'd rather have that. And the singing up there was beautiful. I mean, uh, I met, or the first time I'd ever seen Dale Gish. He led songs up there one evening and, and just, just had some good times. The ministry of the songs, uh, the messages. <clears throat> and so I was, that was the path I was desiring to go. And I, uh, I guess I hadn't officially repented of the other. I mean, there wasn't a longing that way, and I don't know. I mean, I didn't have this dramatic conversion experience. Like, I didn't have anybody to walk me through that. Uh, I thought about, uh, you know, Brother Denny's experience and, and uh, Jackie's experience, and, and they just dumped their sins out, and I did, didn't have that experience with anybody. I didn't have anybody lead me in that. And, and it caused me struggles for, <clears throat> for some time, that I thought, well, that's that's how you come to Christ, is you need to do that. And and that's, you know, it's his work. It's his goodness. It's his story. He works in our lives, if that's the desire of our hearts. And there's one <clears throat> experience I'll tell you a little bit about our <clears throat> our struggles, our courtship. was. Uh, it's kind of a funny story. One of these times we went up to Legrand. <clears throat> Uh, 
Diane's brother Willie had a Oldsmobile Delta 88, I think. It's like a six-passenger car. I mean, it's a big bench seat. <clears throat> and so uh, it was uh, me and Cameron. Cameron was there. And Cindy and Diane were there, and Robert and Willie were there. So the car was full. And I was in the back seat riding, and I think Diane and Cindy, Diane was sitting in the center in the front, and Cindy was on the passenger side, and I think Willie was driving. I think it was Willie was driving. She's nodding her head. I think it was Willie was driving, and he was tired. Of course, this is like 11, 12 o'clock at night, and he's tired. And they said, do you want to drive? And I looked at the front seat, and I knew Diane wouldn't want me to sit there. And so they flipped a coin. Willie flipped a coin and said, well, flip a coin. We'll see who's going to drive, me or you. And he flipped it. Well, I lost or won. I don't know how you'd term that. And so I got to be the driver. And I thought, she's sitting there. She don't, I mean, she didn't really want to be in the same room with me, let alone the same. And I remember standing there beside that door, and I opened up the door. and I'm not sure how this is going to work. Opened up the door. And Cameron was in the back seat, and I opened up the door, and, and they looked at me or something, and psh, out the other door they went in like a flash, and whoop, out the door. Okay, and they piled in on Cameron in the back seat, <laughs> and um, Bobby and Willie sat up in the front seat, and we drove the other hour home. I was in, like in Baker City, and so it was kind of a funny story that we had, and we laugh at it, yeah. <laughs> She, she don't mind sitting by me now, so I, I praise the Lord for that. I thank the Lord for that. So there again, you know, the Lord was working in both of our hearts. Uh, so <clears throat> I was wanting to choose the Lord's way. <clears throat> but I look back, I, doctrinally, I was a blank piece of paper. I didn't have any denominational uh, teaching history or anything, so I doctrinally as a blank piece of paper. And I ended up <clears throat> getting a book called Doctrines of the Bible. Anybody heard of that? Doctrines by, by Kaufman. Of course, they would say that's Mennonite, which, uh, so as a, that's a denom- denomination, I guess, but uh, other than that, I would read the Bible. I appreciated that book uh, very much. <clears throat> I think I read virtually the whole book, Doctrines of the Bible. <clears throat> And it opened up my eyes, I think, to uh, maybe what difference, uh, different than what the Nazarene church or Baptist church or whatever would have. And some verses that really spoke to me early on, life, I guess you could say life-changing verses would be Matthew 24, 24, for there shall arise false Christs and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. And that really shook me. Like, if I'm not among the very elect, I'll be deceived. I mean, it's just automatic. If you're not among the very elect, if, the, if it's possible for an elect person to be deceived, then I was, you know, I was an unlearned. I was ignorant. And so it really gave me a desire to know what God's Word says and what it, how it applies to my life. Another verse, <clears throat> For that which is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. I mean, maybe these verses have spoke to you in the past, but I thought, well, what the world thinks highly of is an abomination. Do I want to be involved with something that's an abomination to the Lord? <clears throat> so these I, these verses were eye-opening verses to me. In James 4, 4, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is, is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. And that uh, world means is uh, system, cosmos is the, the Greek word. If we desire to see things in our life that the world fa- is fascinating, fascinated by, the way the world functions, the whole world system, how it operates, if that is our heart's desire, then we become the enemy of God. And so that verse really was a challenging verse to me. <clears throat> And another verse, <clears throat> or verses, or people, I guess you could say in Acts 17, uh, 1 through 11, I won't take time to read all those verses, but it's about the heart of the Bereans. They were more noble than those in Thessalonica, 
in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things these those things be so. And that uh, word uh, <clears throat> more noble means well born, better born. They were just a better cut of people or something. They were trained better to be to have a mindset that they could think through things <clears throat> better, process things better. And we've all run across people that uh, you try to explain something to and they just like, these people are just, aren't reasonable thinkers. Well, the Brians, they were reasonable thinkers. <clears throat> and I guess that challenged me. And am I a reasonable thinker? Can I be a person that can be reasoned with as far as when it comes to the scriptures? <clears throat> Well, to make the long long story a little shorter, in uh, 95, uh, the Lord had been working in Diana's heart uh, over those years, and I was continuing to attend the Mennonite church real regularly, or whenever they, they'd have an outreach, they hadn't actually moved a church down there yet, but uh, was it every two weeks? They'd have a, ran a community hall and they have an outreach. And I really appreciated, uh, the ministry up there and the heart and the people, the young people. I really appreciated that. <clears throat> and, uh, at, during Sunday, we'd go to, I went to a Fargo community church, which Dan's uncle would, uh, speak at. And, and the Tuesday night Bible studies, I continued to go to those things. Uh, but her heart, the Lord worked in her heart too. And, uh, and I didn't know. I mean, I wasn't still continuing to pursue her. Some people may have thought that that way, but I thought, oh, this lady would never change her mind, and, that, and that's fine. I wasn't necessarily wanting that. I was just, Lord, what what are you wanting me? What would you have for me? What is out there? What, you know, as far as uh, help me or, or life companion? You know, I was wondering, asking the Lord, show me. I want to know. <clears throat> And the Lord worked in her heart, and, and again, I wasn't pursuing that. I wasn't hoping that way. Uh, really, it was just like, you know, Lord, whatever, whatever you'd have for me is what I want, want for me. <clears throat> and so, in '95, December '95, uh, we started a courtship. You know, the Lord had changed my heart. I wanted to follow Him. I wanted to honor Him. I wanted to do what His will was, and the Lord worked in her heart also. And uh, so, you know, I could expound on that a lot more, but we started a courtship. And we attended the Fargo Community Church and the Mennonite Church outreach. By then, they'd, uh, the church from Lagrand there, Cove, Oregon, had, had planted a church there that spring. Uh, Glenn Showalter helped him move in there into his house and, and, uh, some of the other Mennonites. And we really appreciated, uh, the, the families there. And I even went through most of instruction class. Me and Diana went through instruction class with Verton Troyer. Uh, many of you probably have heard, uh, heard of Verton or knew him. And Harley Kaufman. I mean, two godly men. I really am thankful for them, appreciate them. I got to see Harley here. Hadn't seen him for many, many years. And he was at Owen Krupp's uh, funeral. And uh, so I got to talk to him briefly and actually got to help him up the hill because he's getting elderly. I really appreciate it, Harley. I mean, I really do, still do, deeply care for those men. And Burton's gone already, but uh, I appreciated the heart. And so we were going through instruction class. I made it through almost all the lessons. And again, this is before me and Diane were married. And I remember we were going to her house, I think it was after a Sunday morning service. And we were heading to her house for lunch. And... Uh, and somehow we started talking about the instruction class or baptism, and and she says, "Well, you know, if you get baptized, you're you're a member of the church." And, what? I didn't know that. I didn't. Nobody explained that. Uh, Harley and and Verton never shared that with me. I didn't know that. I said, oh, oh dear. I didn't. I was seeking baptism, not church membership. I mean, I, maybe I'd have been a member there. I don't know. I guess I did not see in the scriptures where. You plug those two together, and, and I understand the the Mennonites. Uh, I understand uh, they want you to be plugged into a church, and I recommend that. I don't believe you should just be a free floater in church life. I don't believe that's God's heart. 
Um, I think you're missing out on a lot if you do not get plugged in and you're not accountable uh, to a body. Uh, Abe sent me some messages, maybe many of you, is uh, by uh, Stephen Brubaker. Is that right? Very good on church. I mean, you must listen to those messages. They're good messages. Really sound. It's uh, spoken at Shippensburg, right? Very good. I just listened to him here a few weeks ago about being part of the body. So uh, I went to the ministry there and says, well, I wasn't, I was seeking baptism. Well, we, if we don't, we won't baptize you if you do not. You know, if you go through instruction class and agree with all that, you will, you know, we just can't baptize you without church membership and, and that accountability. Well, I, I wasn't ready for that. At that time. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> we didn't finish the, finish the instruction book. <clears throat> and, uh, we still continued to attend <clears throat> there and, and so it was just kind of standstill and, <clears throat> And in the spring there in uh, 96, in about April, uh, up at Grangeville, they had Brother Denny speaking some messages up there. And so uh, we went on a, a long date or courtship. We drove three and a half hours, which I guess I'd frown on that today. I'm sorry, I have a double standard here. I'd, I may not agree with that if, if Timmy had, uh, and Benjamin had said, hey, can I drive Susanna three hours, seven hours, be gone all day, be gone till." 11 o'clock at night, I say no. So, but I'm thankful that uh, <clears throat> my father-in-law allowed that because <clears throat> we had a good time. It wasn't a temptation for us. But we got up there. I remember Brother Denny preached and I thought he was this big high up. I mean, we listened to the Godly Home set and other te- sets and tapes and I thought, boy, this almost like this radio preacher, this TV preacher, evangelist or whatever. And so I had Brother Denny stuck up there on a pedestal so high. And I remember we listened to a message, and, and uh, don't remember what the message is about. But it was good. It was a good time. And me and Diane were sitting there eating at the table. And then this Brother Denny came up and squatted right down beside us. It's almost like, who is this guy? And I kind of sharing about what we're doing. And, and uh, I appreciate Brother Denny's boldness. I mean, I, I wish I was more bold that way. I told him, well, we're, we're in a courtship and we're getting ready to get married here in, in June. And, and he spoke out, remember his words, he says, are you having a godly courtship? Are you having a pure courtship? One of those words. I appreciate that boldness. <clears throat> Just straightforward. Is your courtship pure? And I thank the Lord. I said, absolutely, yeah. No, yeah. <clears throat> Had no questions about that. So <clears throat> I was glad I could answer that with a free conscience, clear conscience. <clears throat> So in June of 96, we got, got married, which <clears throat> can create a little bit of troubles. Or, you know, the Mennonite church wouldn't help us out very much there. Or they were limited on what they could do. I was hoping that they could do the, the message, and, but they wouldn't touch us with a 10-foot pole. And I, and I feel bad about that a little bit, <clears throat> but I understand they didn't want to... Uh, condone or give give their approval of something they couldn't really fully stand behind or <clears throat> that we weren't accountable to them. And that's why I had Winston and Marie to catch them to do our wedding vows and, and I asked him to preach a sermon. I, a sermon at a wedding? Oh, yeah, that's like, huh? And Winston, he can, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of people that aren't saved, you know. Uh, opportunity to bring in Christ to them and, and okay and he did a good job for not knowing understanding I, I really appreciate that <clears throat> so and I think we went up a few times <clears throat> to Grangeville uh, Brother Denny was coming out here a few months <clears throat> but in, in November he came out and was having some meetings <clears throat> and uh, and they were going to have a baptismal service that evening and so, you know, hey, I hadn't been baptized <clears throat> yet, and I wanted to. <clears throat> so, we went up to him <clears throat> and asked him, and gave him a little bit of my testimony. And yeah, we can. And so, in November, I was baptized up there in Grangeville. And but that same weekend, that was uh, Mark and 
and we're traveling through, moving uh, Jason and Rebecca out to Ellensburg, moving Rebecca out to Ellensburg, where Jason lived. <clears throat> so we got, <clears throat> got to meet Mark and Ann Brubaker and visit, sat across them, uh, visiting them uh, during the noon meal and, and made a little bit of a connection with them back then, <clears throat> which is a blessing. Anyway, we shared courtship stories and, and, and all that, so it was really enjoyed that visit. <clears throat> so we continue to attend the Mennonite Church most every Sunday. It was an established church by then. And then in, <clears throat> 20, in uh, 2001, Living Waters Christian Fellowship started. It was from a, a family that had been attending the Mennonite Church. There was They kind of church split there for a bit. And so there's a man that was struggling with some things and, and uh, Phil Lapp from Loveland, Colorado, somehow he got in touch. Don't remember how um, this man got in touch with Phil, but Phil came out and visited with him and helped him, counseled him to go through, uh, walk through some things. And so this man that was from the Mennonite Church, he kind of wondered, what's what's this charity movement? What's all this? What's going on with this? And and so eventually he said, well, I want something different. I want something different than the Mennonite Church. And, and uh, so Living Water started out of that. Uh, back then in 2001. <clears throat> uh, and we had several families. We had some a family that had moved down and was kind of fellowshipping with us to a certain extent back then. And so we had uh, enough people to kind of start out on a church that spring or that year. But when Phil Lapp came, <clears throat> uh, you know, I felt a burden for a, a church that's united and has, has a set of directions and and a path, a vision, and uh, and I expressed that one uh, one brother's meeting we had there, and he, so I, th- I thought little you know charity's a little blue book, you know, a little statement of faith, confession of faith, and I thought we kind of need that to know where we're this because we had people from a, so much of a different background, like how can we make this thing work. And we had different visions, different directions. And so I mentioned something about, you know, some kind of statement of faith. And Brother Phil says, no, we're not going to do that. I mean, he just said, no, he shot my plane down. I thought I was had something good going here. And he just, no, we don't do that. That chased people away. And he says, next time I come out in a couple, <clears throat> another month, I'll bring what we do, what we have there in Loveland. And he brought out this sheet of paper. <clears throat> I mean... It didn't didn't have those that many words on it. It's just very vague. I mean, you can take it down to any church in town, and they would, oh yeah, I really appreciate this, and give their name and and power behind it. And it's like it didn't define anything. It didn't say who you were, or what direction you're going. It didn't give a vision. It's nothing you give somebody saying, hey, this is what we're about. And so everybody, oh, a lot of people thought that was great and, and accepted that. And I think me and Cameron kind of like, yeah, it's pretty vague and. <clears throat> and I thought, well, I don't know anything, anything about this church stuff. And so that's the way we went for only about a year. And the church there in 2002 split. And uh, Brother Phil kind of stepped in, was going to be the church leader. And uh, he was drawing some lines that I couldn't, I couldn't agree with. I couldn't be involved with. I couldn't put my energies behind <clears throat> And so I told him that, that I just, and, okay, that's fine. And, and later on we found out him and, and Ken Lowry were there, came for some meetings with the church. So they took over the building. They had a meeting with me and Cameron, and, and uh, Brother Phil says, you know what, when I drew that line, he kind of drew a line in the sand. If, you're, if, you're not, if you don't step on this side, then you just have to be out. And we didn't know it. When he drew that line, he just didn't know our hearts. He drew that line... And he expected me and Cameron and, and some of us to step on that line and the other ones that stayed with him to step on the other side. He just didn't know us. You just can't know somebody from a thousand miles away and, and guide them as a church. And uh, It's just really hard. And so he, he says he didn't understand what happened. He didn't know how he misread people or something, but he did. He just did not understand so when 
when <clears throat> church went on without us, it was like uh, the bus left me. I mean, as a school child, that was my worst fears. Missing my bus at school and being left at school. I mean, that was, and I, that happened one time. And I just, like the world went out from under me. And, and so that's the way I felt for a period of time. But I, the Lord spoke to me and says, that's not the bus I wanted you on. That's not the bus I wanted you on. And so I, we had some sweet time. We just home fellowshipping there. So <clears throat> I'll try to move on through this. <clears throat> so we home fellowship for a time and then ended up taking over, having the building. The other group disintegrated and went uh, separate ways. And so we just continued on. <clears throat> but it's been, hasn't been easy. But about that time, uh, I don't know if you ever heard uh, Titus Two Ministries, Steve and Terry Maxwell. Maybe some of you heard S.M. Davis. Many of you have heard S.M. Davis. Uh, he's well known for changing the heart of the rebel, isn't he? The one that spoke to them. <clears throat> uh, we got involved in some of their teaching or ministry and hearing from them. And one thing that really spoke to me out of both of those is uh, the anger. They're teaching on anger. And I think in our conservative Anabaptist circles, anger is one of those untouchables. But many times that's not... There's a lot of anger out there in the Anabaptist circles. I mean, it's it's sad to say. And uh, <clears throat> there's a message out there, is it a sin to be angry? How many of you listened to that? Is it a sin to be angry? I don't remember how I got that message. Did you send it to me, honey? <clears throat> I don't know how she got it, so she sent it to me. Is it a sin to be angry? It's done by Ryan Jarman. Anybody heard that message? Very good message. Very balanced. Was, but through uh, S.M. Davis and, and uh, Steve Maxwell, one of those two mentioned <clears throat> about anger. And I, I struggle with anger. I mean, we all do. Uh, not, a, not my wife or children so much. Uh, I, I get angry at equipment. Who, who's experienced that? Get frustrated with equipment? Uh, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> It's our human experience. <clears throat> but uh, the Lord is trying to teach us. <clears throat> but uh, one of these men related anger in a home from a husband or wife is like uh, living next to an active volcano. It may lay dormant for months or years and years. But you know what? If it explodes every five years, give or take, you know, maybe three and a half years to five years, if it explodes every once in a while, how would you like to have a house at the bottom of that volcano? You'd live in fear all the time, wouldn't you? <clears throat> You'd just be like, when's this thing going to blow up and destroy everything I have? Well, <clears throat> these ministries, these men, says that's what the children feel like when there's angry parents. Is, when's mom and dad going to blow up? I mean, they're living in fear. There's not a peace or rest in that. So if you have an anger problem, if you... And don't say... <clears throat> I've had men come up to say, I don't, you know, complain about another man's anger and not seeing their own anger. If you want to know if you're angry or not, ask your children. Do you feel, I mean, if you're disciplining them, ask them, do you feel I'm angry at you right now? You might be surprised if there's an honesty there, if you're really open, if you're really seeking the Lord <clears throat> uh, to get victory over this. And I think of Zach Poonin, he said he cried himself for six months to sleep every night over his anger problem. He gave this testimony there. He came through New Plymouth there. And he stood at the pulpit and says, you cannot get me angry. And he told his testimony over his anger problem. And he says he was a very angry man. Uh, Jeremy probably knows more about the testimony, but he, he would say he was a very angry man. But it grieved him. And he stood at that pulpit there in, in New Plymouth there and says, you cannot get me angry. And it was sad. we had a huge crowd of people, and I was, it was sad, it was grievous to me that somebody says, there's some men down there that are trying to get Zach Poonin angry. They didn't believe that. And I've had people say, you cannot get over anger. I've had people say, you cannot get over anger. Well, you're justifying your own anger. You're just, that's like saying, you cannot get over lust. You cannot get over stealing. You cannot get over 
murder. You cannot get over why put anger in a different category than those. So, <clears throat> so <clears throat> sorry. I better move on here. <clears throat> so, yeah, if you want that message, I, it was really good. But uh, <clears throat> And Bill Gothard, he uh, appreciates some of those teachings there. <clears throat> Talks about the source of anger or unmet expectations and lack of being yielded to God. And that's true. I mean, you're not allowing God. If you get angry and upset, it's, it's a sign that you're not laying down those things, whatever's making you angry, like... Lord, what are you trying to teach me? And that's what I have to ask me, myself. You know, Things aren't going right. Lord, uh, there's something you must be wanting to teach me. What is it? Or what something you're wanting to show me? <clears throat> so, <clears throat> in like 2004 through 2013, I can go through this pretty fast. <clears throat> uh, we had a lot of issues with premature babies. Our last four boys were all born premature, and I don't remember... I think I totaled up. We had like eight or nine months that we spent in the hospital. Total with the boys and <clears throat> their sicknesses and problems. And Again, that was a lesson. It was a teaching time that the Lord was teaching us, teaching me. Uh, <clears throat> I know with the... I think it was with Simeon, <clears throat> maybe. We had the tape by the Melvin Kaufman's family. Uh, singing tape and we had that song we have this moment and uh, that song really spoke to me back there when your life is out of control and you're feeling like you don't have uh, control of things uh, that song really spoke to me during that time and and uh, and even going through this with Amos you know we have this moment I mean that song really uh, spoke to us again as a family spoke to me uh so cherish those moments, uh, value those moments, please. In uh, 2010, uh, Zebedee was born. He was actually born on my dad's birthday. And it felt like our family was torn apart. I was, my dad had hip surgery, and I remember hip surgery about two weeks after Zebedee was born. And I was going from one St. Louis hospital to another. I was visiting my dad, uh, just before his surgery and after his surgery, and he wasn't doing so well. His mind was <clears throat> kind of having troubles, and, and then uh, a few days later, he fell in the hospital and dislocated. He had a hip replacement and dislocated a hip and then passed away. So all this was pouring in on me. I had the farming to do, and, and my children were over at my in-laws, and things weren't going so well over there. And my wife was in the hospital. She was needing me. She was needing the children, and I was there at home trying to do the farming, and and I had my mom that I was trying to console and, and comfort and be there. And it's like, I felt like the world, <clears throat> the wagons, or the wheels were coming off my wagon in my life. It was just like, <clears throat> it was a difficult time. I mean, next to the situation with Amos, that was the most difficult time in my life. Right there, I just felt stretched. And again, <clears throat> Lord, what are you trying to teach me? What are you trying to show me? <clears throat> And it was hard. My children really <clears throat> were suffering, and that's uh, it's really hard on a parent when you're struggling and when your children are struggling. It really <clears throat> is hard. <clears throat> and the Lord was speaking to me <clears throat> at that time. I think in Malachi four six, and it says, "And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse." <clears throat> we don't appreciate what we have until we lose it. And I think through the preemies, that's what the Lord was showing me, that I didn't have that family time. They were over there. I was trying to help my wife, trying to be back and forth, and it was, uh, it was a difficult time. So appreciate what you have <clears throat> while you have it. And uh, so the Lord was trying, working in my heart towards my children and giving me more of a heart for my children. <clears throat> In Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, the thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. And I felt that that verse was speaking to me. This the Lord is on my side. The Lord's pulling for me, and I, and the Lord did a work in the hearts of our children in our home. Uh, I needed to make sure my children knew that I was pulling for them, not against them, 
we can easily make our children feel that we're pulling against them. Uh, I tried to express to them <clears throat> that uh, I've been down this road, I've been around the block, so to say, more than you have. So please hear me. I'm pulling for you. I'm watching out for your good. And that's because the Lord's watching out for our good. If we really mean that and feel that, you know, we need to express that to our children. Uh, that the, we're pulling for them and, and to really give ear to what they have to say too, uh, to what their heart is. <clears throat> so I praise the Lord for the work that he's done in our home in the past five to seven years. <clears throat> it was not always so good. Um, I've made a lot of mistakes and allowed a lot of things. I've told people I did the mistake and God did the fixing because he did. He did a lot of work. <clears throat> um through Bible school and some godly young people, some godly peers, godly influences, it impacted our young people's lives. And I thank the Lord for that. I didn't, if it wasn't for that, our home wouldn't have been where it is. And it would uh, it have been pretty devastating to walk through this with Amos if we didn't have those some of, those, uh, some of that work and some of the relationships that our young people had. So the Lord knew what we had need of before we even asked or sought him for it, and he had influences that way. Again, it's his story. <clears throat> so through Bible school, the children got a vision <clears throat> of a church, of some young people, and they came home with that passion and, and burden, and and it, it encouraged me also to pursue that and to desire that. And uh, So it's good when our, challenge, our children challenge us. Uh, spiritually, it's, I've enjoyed our young people so much. I mean, it's just been tremendous to see our young people and to hear their heart, and it's just been an inspiration to me. <clears throat> so a little bit here more, and I'll, <clears throat> and I'll be down. I think of Amos's death. When Jeremy called me, <clears throat> the first things that came to my mind is God is still good. God is good. He's good all the time. Don't doubt that. He's good all the time. And uh, and we still say that. We may not understand. But we still say that, and that's our heart. <clears throat> and we're so thankful for the work that the Lord had done in the hearts of our family. It would have been a disaster. It would have been like a hurricane plowing through this building. Or a tremendous earthquake. Our home would have fallen down. But it's only drawn us closer to each other. So I just... Uh, I thank the Lord for that. <clears throat> I have a couple of verses I'd like to close with. Psalms, uh, uh, there's some passages here. Psalms 40, 1 and 2. <clears throat> I waited patiently for the Lord, and He inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up out of the horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. And that's, Truly the way I feel what the Lord has done for me, what he's done for me and for our home. <clears throat> and remembering where the Lord has brought us from. In, uh, <clears throat> I was hoping to read the Ephesians chapter 2. <clears throat> I was going to only pull out a few verses here, but there was so much, <clears throat> so much good in it. I'd like to read <clears throat> these verses in Ephesians chapter 2 and <clears throat> verse 1. And you hath he quickened who were dead in, in trespasses and sins, wherein time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air and the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. <clears throat> we all have been there. If you're born again, if you're saved, this is where you came from. We are all children of disobedience at one time, among whom also we all had our conversation time past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, we've got to remember that, even when we were dead in our sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are ye saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. 
that in ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace ye are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are all, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. <clears throat> it's his story. Remember, it's his story. Unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Wherefore remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh who are called unto circumcision by that which is called circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Remember where we came from. But now in Christ Jesus, you're, who are sometimes were far off, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments, contained in ordinances, for to make himself a, of twain and one new man, so making peace. We can be a new man in Christ. And that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity, and came and preached peace to you which were far off and to them which were nigh. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. <clears throat> and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. Lord bless you.